friends, and welcome to this golf podcast unlike any other. I kind of want to sing here on Fairway Road, the golf podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, because it is a major week. The U.S. Open is upon us, and it's at the storied, legendary Wingfoot, the famous massacre at Wingfoot back in the 70s. And we have none other than Justin Ray on the line. Our, our data analytics guru from 15th Club uh, helps us with all of these majors, try and figure out strategies and thinking processes for who might be successful at this week. It's a hell of a way to get the week started. Of course, our PGA Tour correspondent on the ground, Nathan Hubbard, is on the line as well. The first tee is wide open. Actually, you know what? The tee is open. The fairway is tight. Let's go over there with a three-wood and throw a peg in the ground, my birdie buddies. My Eagle enthusiasts, it's fairway rolling, presented by FanDuel. Major season is here, and you can get in on all the long drives, big putts, and major moments with FanDuel. Check out live PGA Tour bets like longest drive, round leaders, matchups, birdie or better, and more. Plus, track every shot in the app and watch select par three holes while you place your bets. Download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors with over 122 million parts from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond. eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance and with eBay guaranteed fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, my par-saving pals. It is a major week. It is a U.S. Open week, which means we have to have our major expert, our major guest, Justin Ray, is on the line. JR, what's happening, my brother? I'm good. I'm not as good as uh, Washington football fans sitting at 1-0, and but um, I'm great. It's just Open Week, man. It's a big day for us. Just give us this Monday. <laughs> we, we have one Monday. It is a really um, great moment to be a sports fan here in America. The NFL got off is, is off and running. We have a major this week in the golf. College football looks like they got some successful games underway. The NHL playoffs, the basketball playoffs. It's it's a great time. But you know, the U.S. Open. This is the latest. This tournament will be competed in like a, a hundred years or so, right? Something like that. Francis, we met in 1913. That was the last, the greatest game ever played. That was the last time there was a U.S. Open held in September. So, 
Well, tough, tough act to follow, guys. Good luck, boys. <laughs> Greatest well, it, upset in the history of sports, maybe. I think Stuart Sink finished runner-up in that open. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, hey, well, he I mean, if, if, if it was really the case, Stuart Sink would have won. I saw someone yesterday say they're surprised Stuart Sink didn't win the 2019 Masters. Just, you know, robbing us of Harry Higgs and all his chest hair <laughs> and then 11 years after Tom Watson. We got to give a quick shout out to Stuart Sink. I love old yeah, guy awesome golf. Old guy golf. He, he tracked down all those young fellas out there in Napa. And, you know, it was nearly a bogey free performance. What do you have? Two bogeys for the week? Yeah, something like that. Unbelievable performance. My favorite yeah. number from the week, though, I think it was Mark Anderson, probably nondescript journeyman tour pro. No bogeys for the entire tournament. And he finished 38. Wow. How is that possible? Wow. Like, that's, un that's unbelievable. I, I mean, I, I couldn't believe that when I saw it. It was the, only like the third guy in 10 years to not make a bogey. Well, if yeah, that happens know. this week, the guy's going to win the tournament. <laughs> uh, yeah, going out on a limb there. Yeah, but yeah. Yes, well, that's, that's a wonderful segue into exactly what we are confronted with and by this week. Uh, the, the storied, legendary Wingfoot hosting a U.S. Open in September up in uh, New York, just north of New York City. I know how the weather's been here in Washington, D.C. It is, it is perfect weather for growing thick, nasty, gnarly, rough. I believe the same is true in New York. JR, what are you expecting this week out of Wingfoot in terms of you know the, the conditions up there? Patrick Reed said it's the toughest rough he's ever seen in his life. John Rahm said he'd be shocked if anyone broke apart. Those two guys' opinions, two of the best players on the planet, I'll let that sit with everybody in terms of the difficulty we can expect. It's not like Wingfoot. I mean, Wingfoot traditionally, too, is like it's the quintessential old-school, difficult U.S. Open course, right? Um, you know, when Jeff Ogilvie won in 2006, he won without shooting a single round under par. No player has won a major since then doing that, par or higher for all four rounds to win. I mean, you think, too, I mean, any golf course that has historically tied the word massacre to it, like the massacre at Wingfoot in 1974, seven over par wins the tournament, any time massacre is tied to a golf course, you know what to expect. Like, par is your friend. There's going to be a lot of really difficult pars throughout the week. Um, and, hey, I mean, look, we've we had some U.S. Opens in the last few years where you know, uh, Woodland was double digits under par last year. Pebble didn't win. Um, you know, Aaron Hills, obviously the scoring was historically low. I'm kind of in the mood for, for something like this, for a really tough Google test, um, really put the best players in the world on point. I mean, like how much fun was the BMW championship? Um, we had that unbelievable finish between Ron and DJ, but all week with scoring being at a premium and birdies were really, really valuable. I mean, it was a nice change of pace you know, after all the low scoring we saw since the return to golf post the COVID pandemic hiatus. So um, I expect, look, in 06, about half the greens and regulation were hit by the field. No one, uh, there's not been a major the last 12 years that have a green regulation percentage lower than what we saw in Wingfoot in 06. I expect more of the same. I think, I don't know, one under, two under might win the tournament. It might maybe even or over par. I never know. All right, quick break. My Eagle enthusiasts, I don't know if we're going to see any Eagles this week, but I want to talk about Whoop. Whoop is a fitness wearable that provides personalized insights on the performance of your sleep. Also, how recovered you are, how much stress you put on your body. 
throughout the day from both your workouts and the normal stressors of life. If you don't know what Whoop is you can, and you consider yourself a golf fan, then you haven't been paying attention, my, my birdie buddies, these last couple months. The PGA Tour procured 1,000 straps from Whoop for its golfers, caddies, and staff to help everyone involved at tournaments stay safe throughout this pandemic. Justin Thomas even went so far as to say that the Whoop saved the PGA Tour. It's also now the official fitness wearable of the Ladies Professional Golf Association. That's the LPGA. They just had a major this weekend. The Ladies European, the Symmetra Tours, this Whoop band, the reason that all the golf guys have it is because it gives you information about how your body is responding. You get sleep information, you get respiratory information, you get heart rate information. All those things are important daily data for how you might be doing. And if you've been exposed to, to anything, and you know, including the, the pandemic, you can get some early feedback for it. I'm using the thing on a daily basis for sleep information. It sets an outstanding target helping you figure out how much sleep you need to get yourself into fighting shape. We need all these guys this week to be in fighting shape. Whoop is gonna be all over golfers and caddies wrists for the US Open and now it's your chance to get a Whoop as well. For US Open weekend, Whoop is offering $30 off when you use the code House, H-O-U-S-E, that means you can get started for $0 up front at checkout. Go to whoop.com, W-H-O-O-P.com, enter the code HOUSE to get your first month free. You sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter with Whoop today. Whoop! Power Saving Pals, Fairway Rolling this week, also brought to you by... FanDuel this week, the Fairway Roland Doe leaderboard series continues for leg number three. We have four events in the Fairway Roland Doe leaderboard series. This is the third. We have the PGA Championship under uh, our belt. We have the Tour Championship. I finished, I think, right around 1,000 out of about 4,000. I'm not at the top of the leaderboard at this point. But look, you get yourself a lineup in. You're still two chances to jump in there. If you score outstandingly this week and then at the Masters, you can get in. They're tallying up all the scores through the series leaderboard. If you finish at the top, we have this beautiful, the inaugural Fairway Roland Doe Championship jacket. We have this beautiful jacket that I will be wearing come Masters time. Uh, not to mention a lifetime of bragging rights, obviously. For each contest, you have a chance to win thousands in cash prizes. That's going on this week, even if you're not in a position to win the leaderboard series. Couple picks this week for the for the for the Fanduel. We're talking about it with Justin Ray. We like Hideki Matsuyama potentially. We like Tommy Fleetwood. Obviously, the top three: DJ Rom and JT. You can't fit them all in your lineup. But we're doing the research. We're getting out some of that information this week. We got JR today, another show coming up Wednesday. Check out our, our thoughts and our, our picks. You can get yourself to fanduel.com slash fairway rolling to enter the U.S. Open contest before it locks 
Thursday morning. That's FanDuel.com slash Fairway, R-O-L-L-I-N. You can enter that contest. Continue listening to the Bill Simmons podcast, this Fairway Rolling podcast throughout the golf season to find out how you stack up against the competition. My birdie buddy's age and location restrictions, of course, apply. Par Saving Pals also want to talk to you about Zip Recruiter. When it comes to scoring great hires for your business, you may be up against some obstacles right now, like lots and lots of applicants, but difficulty finding the correct ones, the right ones for your job, or you're finding it difficult to make time to hire while you're busy running your business and also trying to ensure workplace safety. That's why you need ZipRecruiter on your team. Because no matter the industry, it's healthcare, it's manufacturing, it's business services, financial services, ZipRecruiter is making hiring faster and easier. And you can try it for free right now at ZipRecruiter.com slash Roland, R-O-L-L-I-N. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it goes out the door and it gets sent right to over 100 top job sites. Then ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology hustles for you to find people with the right experience for your job and invites them to apply. In fact, how about this? Four out of five employers, that's 80% of those employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. That's a good return on investment, my birdie buddies. So add ZipRecruiter to your roster to help you win the hiring game. Again, ZipRecruiter for free. You can get on there and try it. ZipRecruiter.com slash Roland. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash R-O-L-L-I-N. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. This episode is brought to you by Evernorth Health Services. Costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and Evernorth is doing everything in their power to make that possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that'll benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because they're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions, that's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you will always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins 
Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. When Ogilvy won, the last time we saw the tournament here, I think his score was plus five. But, you know, this is a course that has almost no water. And a bunch of the trees barely come into play. The green complexes are crazy. And the disappointing thing about uh, undulating greens or mountainous greens on, on TV is that they don't always show that well. So I'm hoping that NBC figures out a way to, to bring that to life. But given what we know about the course, Justin, what are the stats that you look at this week to help you figure out who's got a shot to win this thing? I think the first thing I start with, with when we talk about the rough being so penalizing, um, look at golf courses that regularly on the PGA Tour generate really difficult rough situations. Like um, I, the scoring's going to be lower, uh, higher than you typically see in this golf tournament. But Bay Hill every year, um, the proximity from the rough is among the most difficult in the PGA Tour. So I kind of tend to look at if you're looking at regular events and things that might correlate between this week and the U.S. Open. I'd say there I start with with just the off the tee penalty of missing the fairway. Um, I kind of compare, you know, obviously we haven't had a golf tournament here since 2006. So it's tough to do apples to apples comparison in terms of player performance um, on the golf course, but look at kind of how players performed on the traditional U S open venues in recent years, like um, Marion in 2013, Oakmont in 2016, maybe Pinehurst in 2014 to a little bit lesser extent um, and see kind of how that, those golf courses played and what traits um, were most important there. But I think if you've got a venue where the rough is this penalizing, there are guys that you can look at right off the bat and they're just too wild. You got to scratch them off the list. You got to take, so sad to say, because of the unbelievable history he has here, but like Phil hit like 14 fairways in Napa last week. Like Phil Mickelson cannot do that on this golf course. And stuff like that. Um, guys like Mark Leishman and Patrick Reed, who are among the lower ranked players in driving accuracy among the lead players in the world, you just wonder, you know, how are they going to be able to? to adapt to something that's going to be this penalizing um, in terms of if you miss it off the tee. So that's where I start first. Um, putting statistically tends not, the numbers don't travel as well as ball striking. So I always tend to lean more towards the ball striking number, but I think it begins and ends with players who can keep the ball in the fairway and, you know, effectively gain strokes on the field, not just by distance, but for accuracy. Talk a little bit about what you're anticipating in terms of the premium on scrambling because I, I'll tell you this one of the ways that I got myself in in the mood for this week the guys at fried egg did an incredible um eight minute video shouts out to Andy Johnson the fried egg guys they sat down with Gil Hans 
who undertook a restoration in 2017. And they sat down with Jeff Ogilvie, who Nate just mentioned, the last winner of, of the U.S. Open at this venue, and went through kind of, you know, some of the attributes and characteristics of the greens and some of the work that Gil did in terms of restoring, um, you know, s- some of the green complexes and creating whole locations that weren't available back in 2006, but they, they, they are now. Based on what we've just sort of outlined, what you outlined in the way of what we know about the rough and we know about the greens, the crazy tilt in these greens, the front to back uh, tilt of the greens, the undulations and so forth, what, what, what um, there, there has to be some Im- important uh, uh, value on, on scrambling, right? Yeah, definitely. Only 40% of the field, uh, scrambling percentage in 06 of Winfield was 40%, which is incredibly low one of the lowest in any major championships over the last 20 years, you talk about those little changes in terms of the complexes and where they can put pins. It almost makes me think more about, you know, the need to play the whole backwards a little bit where I, I hate to harp on it, but it's the significance of getting your first, your first shot in a place where you can approach the green in the appropriate way where you can miss on the right side, miss on the correct side um, and not put yourself in a position where you're having to fight for a really good bar. Um, you know, us open greens are, always going to be quick. They're always going to weed out four putters um, on that given week. Um, and, and this golf course, you know, you've got to expect if the rough is bad in, uh, on either side of the fairway, it's going to be just as bad or worse around the greens, right? So um, there's definitely a premium on that. Um, uh, it's tough to predict how, uh, how specific that, that uh, where that number will be this week. But look, it was, it was incredibly difficult in 06. And I expect more of the same this week. Well, you talk about 06, and of course, we're going to be bludgeoned to death about the Phil Mickelson meltdown. Uh, somehow, somehow, the other guys who choked that year, from Colin Montgomery to, to Furyk, don't quite get the, the bashing that Phil does. Uh, but we saw another old guy, as we talked about, uh, win just this past week at the Safeway Open in Stewart Sink. Uh, is, is there any... You know, it, there are a lot of young guys coming into the tournament who who we can maybe talk about l- later on in the show. But is there any uh, type of golfer, old, young, uh, you know, foreign, domestic? Are there is there any sort of category of golfer that you look at this week who maybe has a chance or absolutely does not have a shot to play well on this golf course? Do we think the older guys in Phil and Tiger who are gonna who are gonna stroll into this thing? after taking a couple of weeks off, have a shot to play well here uh, or not? Um, I mean, one of the first things that I look at going into a major championship and have the last several years, one of the more incredible trends in the sport. Um, we have not had a player ranked outside the top 50 in the world win a major championship since Keegan Bradley of the 2011 PGA. It's a crazy streak. Like that's 33 straight majors where a guy ranked in the top 50 that week went on the win. So um, I don't know if that means we're overdue for somebody to break through. It's kind of off the beaten path. It was like, it's been a while since a, since a Darren Clark or a Sean McKeel, you know, won a major championship. Um, but I think that speaks to the depth at the top of the sport, right? It's really, I mean, the, the, that upper echelon of player now um, is really, really good. And it's difficult for a guy to break through, have a career week, you know, and win from kind of out of nowhere. Even like in the PGA Championship, the guy who was quote unquote, out of nowhere was Scotty Scheffler, like a U.S. junior amateur champion, uh, PGA Tour, probably rookie of the year. I don't know if I've named that yet. I, uh, I'm spending here in the next day or two, but, um, you know, 
that's the that's the dark horse. Like that's the dark horse coming out of nowhere is a guy with who shot you know fifty nine the next week or, or two weeks later. You know, so it, it's really tough at the top of the sport. You know, traditionally too, um, the older guys don't typically perform well in the U.S. Open. You know, um, Gary Woodland winning at thirty five was basically an aberration. It's not thirty five is old in golf years at all. But, I mean, he was the oldest winner of the U.S. Open in, in over a decade. I think when he won last year, so. Um, it typically skews towards the younger players. It's typically a more grueling physical test. Now, this not being held in the middle of the summer, you know, maybe that lets lets guys. It's maybe it's not as physically draining as the week goes on, and you could see a couple of older players, you know, um, sneak in and contend. But um, yeah, typically here at the U.S. Open, more so than the other majors, um, over the last 10, 12 years, it's been the youngest of the four major championships in terms of average age of winners. So kind of the opposite of what we've seen in the Open Championship over the last uh, decade and a half or so. So uh, you hate to just point to chalk, <laughs> you know, that isn't super interesting, but like the trends we've been looking at tonight, I said 33 straight guys ranked inside the top 50. I don't necessarily see an old guy breaking through and winning this week. I mean, maybe the age cut off of around 40, but um, I don't know. We'll see, you know, stranger things that. Well, I want to talk about, another category and ask you uh, if this category I have in mind has any chance. But first, quick shouts. We mentioned Scotty Scheffler. Scotty is not going to play this week because he tested positive for the COVID. So we're hoping um, quick recovery for that, that it's, you know, maybe he doesn't experience any symptoms. Another guy that is not playing this week that has withdrawn is Brooks Kepka, who withdraw, withdrew, it seems like, because of the continuing issue that, that he's having with his knee. But I, I mentioned uh, Brooks because we have this trend with the U.S. Open of longer hitters having success. And the category of golfer I'm wondering about at Wingfoot this week is shorter hitters. Is there any kind of uh, uh, thesis whereby guys who are more accurate in the fairway that are not afraid of getting to the front of a green in three shots and then scrambling for saving bogey or par. Is that kind of golfer uh, capable of success this week? I just think it's so demanding to put that on yourself over and over again um, to win, like, say, the most famous example, obviously, is Zach Johnson from Masters when he laid up on every par five. Um, it's so taxing on a player throughout the week at a U.S. Open um, to have to do that over and over again. You're just putting so much more stress on your short game and having to be perfect. I just think law of averages says it's going to be really difficult for that to happen. Um, you know, the last last shortest hitter to win a U.S. Open, you look back at the recent champions, you know, Jordan Spieth's above average distance, uh, Webb Simpson, you know, it's kind of in 2012, it's kind of an average distance. Like, it just doesn't happen that often. Graham McDowell, not the longest guy, but Pebble Beach is probably the shortest major championship that you can find outside of the open road. Um, it, I just think that it's so, like I said, it's so difficult to put that demand on a player's short game over and over again. Um, it'd have to be kind of a Webb Simpson-esque performance where, you know, Webb was in the bottom half of driving distance last year, still in the scoring title because he was outstanding at everything else. And I think that's kind of the, the profile you've got to put together for the tournament if you're not one of the longest players. Now, there, like I said, there is the great onus on accuracy, but the first thing I'm looking at going into the week are guys who are above average distance, above average accuracy. They're going to put themselves in position over and over again for scoring opportunities. And in this case, 
our opportunities at a really difficult setup. Well, so Nicholas's first putt at winged foot, apparently he ran at 30 feet past the hole the first time that he played this course. So of the ball strikers, right, that, that would imply that you've got to have the ball in the, in the right spot to, to have a shot at, at the hole. Of the ball strikers, who overlaps then in the Venn diagram of guys who, who have that good, good first shot accuracy? Who do you look at of the ball strikers that we think of Morikawa on down who might have a shot out here this week? Um, so I'll start at the top, the two, the two guys who are the most balanced elite players right now. Um, John Rahm does not have a weakness in this game, statistically or otherwise. Um, you know, he won a tournament. He showed at the BMW Championship, too. He can win a golf tournament. It's not particularly super low scoring. He can win in a grind. Um, he's been in the top five as Trotsky and Petit every year since turning pro. He's, uh, I think he's around like 60th in driving accuracy, which is well above average. It's a good number to have especially for a guy who hits it as far as he does. Um, he's somebody who can put it all together. Obviously, he's uber talented. I don't need to tell you how great John Rahm is. Um, which Justin Johnson do we see? That's another guy. That you get the guy from the last 36 holes in Eastlake, I mean, that's going to be a tough guy to beat. He's hitting you in the fairway. But if you get the guy with two fairways, I think it was Friday at Eastlake, that's not going to play here. He's going to put a big number on him. Justin's a guy who has a ton of success, obviously historically in the U.S. Open over the last 30 years, um, only Payne Stewart and Tiger Woods has led after more U.S. Open rounds than DJ has. So um, I start there. That's kind of the easy thing to look at. And then the other guy um, who I really, really like a lot this week, I know he's going to be a favorite, um, Xander Shoffley. The last time we saw him, he made everything he worked at. Man. He's, he's, his putting was through the roof. I think he was 100% putting from four to eight feet, which is – just exorbitantly good. He can take that putting stroke with him with the way he's played in the U.S. Open the last few years. The last three years of the U.S. Open, he's third in strokes gained off the tee, so he's got the driver in the back. Third in proximity to the hole, so he's hitting great iron shots. He's second in scoring to Kepka, who's not there, and he leads everyone in strokes gained putting at the U.S. Open the last three years. So if you're looking at the statistical profile, everything coming together, a guy who... He, won, he had the low 72 old score the last time he played. And he's like, obviously, you know, with the staggered strokes, he didn't win the golf tournament. But, I mean, he fits everything to an absolute perfect tee. Um, I really like Xander Schaffer a lot this week. He's a guy who fits all those different kind of statistical profiles. Two of the other guys who I like, too, um, Daniel Berger is almost like diet John Rahm in terms of the balance he has across his game. No real statistical weaknesses. In 2020, he was 35th or better in every strokes gained denomination, which is, you know, that's, that's a balanced attack, man. That is really good. And there's a reason why he was on top of so many leaderboards. He's consistently way above average in driving accuracy, yet he's still longer than the average PGA 4 player. So he's going to put himself into good positions. Um, he finished third or better at half of his starts since the hiatus. Um, I ripped. Berger is so close to being a really elite player, and I don't think anyone would surprise him his first major championship. So those are the first guys I look at. Another guy um, who we want to talk about European players, um, Tommy Fleetwood hit the ball brilliantly in Portugal last week. Now, the field wasn't as strong as it could be. He finished third, but he gained more than 17 strokes TD Green in Portugal Masters, second best with around 12. So that's how much better he was than everyone else in the field there. And obviously, he's got a couple of really high finishes in the U.S. Open. So, um, Tommy fits that driving profile, too. He's longer than normal. He's pretty accurate. 
Um, you know, he's puts himself in a lot of good positions. That's why he's had great success at the U.S. Open. So. Uh, very long-winded answer. That was yeah. I I like that, and I wanted to. I have t- Tommy here on on my list um, because his performance since the restart has been somewhat lackluster uh, until this week in Portugal. Now it is uh, on the one hand impressive that he flew himself to Portugal to compete in that event. He said, "I don't have enough um, competitive rounds. I, I don't have that that feel. I need to have." Uh, the competitive rounds to have the juice, you know, for, for for the major. Eleven straight made cuts in in majors for Tommy, plus the super um, high pedigree. His performance at the 2018 U.S. Open at Shinnecock was spectacular on that Sunday, and you know he, the the British Open in 2019. I, I I like Tommy, and he's he's some value at 40 to one. I have some other guys. Yeah. So Tommy at, at 40 to one, that's oh, one that's going to up there. Yeah. I, I just one. saw you, I just saw your eyes get big. So we're going to do <laughs> a little bit. Va- that's going to be a value you play. And he's going to show up in the DFS lineups. Also, I have some other names I want to talk about, but I don't want to go any further without talking about this week in tiger woods, tiger, tiger, tiger woods. <laughs> <laughs> so, what what do we think? Uh, we will try and be optimistic. We will say for sure that he will make the cut because of the old wily vet in him. But what is what's the the highest ambition that we might have for Tiger at this venue this year? The ambition isn't high if he doesn't hit it in the fairway. I mean, and the places he's won, East Lake, Masters, Masters doesn't even have rough. So I mean, like it. Man, it's it's tough. I mean, you want to see the guy succeed, obviously, in so good for the sport. This is just not the course profile. I don't think it fit. Um, uh, if he can hit it in the fairway, he's still among the top five or six iron players in the world statistically over the last 18, 24 months. Even since the restart with a limited amount of play, the guy can roll out of bed and be you know the best iron player on the range, arguably, every time he steps out there. So He's got to hit it in the fairway, though, man. And, you know, he just doesn't have a lot of competitive reps. You wonder what that putting stroke looks like. He's wa- wavered back and forth between putters since, since coming back. Um, you know, hopefully we see, you know, some glimpses of old Tiger here. Um, you know, he – but it just it just doesn't fit the profile in terms of strengths and, and needing to hit the ball in the fairway. Hopefully I'm wrong and he can – you know, if he hits – if he, his goal should probably be uh, – <laughs> from, from a statistical standpoint, I'm thinking like if he hits nine fairways around, he's going to put himself in good position. And be so that, but that's a lot to ask. That's, that's more than he hits normally. And uh, we'll see if he can pull that off. Got to hit in the fairway. Oof. This is like the only major that in the two thousands, he, he missed the cut at, at this course. So I, this is weird to say, but I think making a cut is going to be, a pleasant surprise for Tiger Woods this week. And that's probably the first time we've said that since uh, since he first came back from the long layoff. Wow, Nate, dog. Guys, isn't this all house money for Tiger until we get to November and he's defending in Augusta? You know, it's all gearing up for that. I mean, it'd be nice to see him pick off a win. Maybe the Zozo's going to Sherwood, a place where he's had a lot of successful, success over the years. Um, we always think about him going into a major championship. But on the other side of 40, you don't typically think of anybody in that age group is competing in a U.S. Open. It's just, 
he's further down the list for me. And I kind of agree with, with Hubbard that, you know, it's going to be a made cut's going to be, that'd be a pretty positive moment. Any tournament where you can get a prop bet that a guy's going to lose his shoe in the rough is not good <laughs> for a guy who has a back that uh, is not particularly reliable. It's just going to be hard for him to get through that grass and get through two days, much less four, of of moving the ball up towards these greens. I think I think he's going to struggle. I love that we're giving him basically senior citizen status uh, here. I want to make one, one quick observation. The 2006 uh, U.S. Open at Wingfoot was indeed the first miscut in Tiger's career as a professional in majors. It was also the first major that he played in after the death of his father. And so he still had some stuff uh, going on and it took him a little while golf wise in 2006 to get, to get rolling again. That the tiger truther in me, look, you, you, you can see <laughs> Talk it. Your I'm, way into it. Here I'm, we go. I'm, 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 I'm look, I mean, if, if there is anything about tiger that we've learned over the past 25 years, it's to go ahead and dismiss him. It's to go ahead and undervalue what he's capable of. And the one thing that I personally am willing to go ahead and invest a little bit of positivity into is who's better than tiger woods at strategy strategically getting around the golf course, knowing what he has to do to be successful. I'm not saying that he will uh, be able to execute his game plan, but I believe he will have a superior game plan, perhaps the best game plan of any player showing up at this venue. I admire the positivity. I was looking for this note and I found it. Um, last player, age 44, 44 or older, to win a major championship. Hale Irwin, 30 years ago. It's a wow. tough ask, man. And in, in the modern era of majors, less than 2% of majors have won. Six for 331 by players age 44. Math is not on his side. Time's not on his side. But I admire your optimism about him dialing it up and, and doing it with strategy. I, I like him a lot and in the future at Augusta National, obviously. And he, I think he can definitely win another Open Championship. I just don't see it happening. I think the okay. weirdest odds this week are Tiger Woods at 28 to 1 and Jordan Spieth at 50 to 1. Those are two of the just like if you're betting those odds you are betting with all of your heart and hope as opposed to any of your head at this point. That's just sucking in football fans, right? Who are at the window and it, yeah, I'm gonna put something on Tiger this week. Why not? <laughs> I like that number, you know. So ju- Justin, you told us that we can effectively cross off anybody who's not in the top 50 in the world unless we get a Ben Curtis moment, which, which as you pointed out, hasn't happened in a long time. I have a question for you. Now that we're into this wraparound season, uh, in hindsight, we got such great golf over the last couple of months. You got a lot of guys playing well. Is there anyone outside of that list of, you know, probably the top eight, guys that we think can probably win this thing outright. You know, DJ for sure, Rom, Rory, JT, you mentioned Xander, you know, Justin Rose, Webb. There, there's that crew of guys who, sure, you, you wouldn't be surprised they're in the mix. But there have been some other golfers who've had some momentum through these playoffs. Uh, my question to you is, when you look at a course like this and a tournament like this, does momentum matter and then are, are there any guys between that, you know, position 10 and 50 who have it coming in who we should be taking a look at? I think it can matter. And I know everything here in 2020 is just 
so weird in terms of when you're talking about sports and trends and everything because it's a completely unprecedented environment. But, you know, momentum is really just another way to say player form and how you play. Um, one guy who I am I'm kind of bullish on this week um, who hasn't won in a little, in a little while, but the last four or five years, he's always been one of those guys who are expecting to break through and win a major championship, is Sudeke Matsuyama. Um, mm. I'm really positive on him this week. He finished third at the BMW Championship in really tough conditions. Um, he was second on the PGA Tour last season, strokes gained team to green. If this guy has a hot putting week, he can win any tournament by six shots. The problem is that just doesn't happen. He's a, he's a below, well below average putter. Um, throughout his career, he hasn't That really was kind. A- that was kind. <laughs> that, well, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, if I'm going to be bullish on the guy, I've got to be positive in terms of how I'm describing his ability to putt. He's an unbelievable ball striker. If this is a ball striking competition, which is what we saw at the BMW Championship, and it was really tough, and the top of the leaderboard is Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, and right behind him is Decky. I'm positive about his about his performance this week. He's had some success at the U.S. Open. He's competed in a couple of them, five top twenty-five since seven U.S. Open starts, I believe. So um, he's one guy who's a little bit off. Maybe a little bit off the beaten path that I'm positive on. I'm not really going on too much of a win. He's 18th in the world, so it's not like I'm <laughs> it's not like I'm reaching for for Ben Kermix or anything. But I have Hideki on my sheet here. I'm looking at him because he's available at 35 to one right now. And you mentioned his his success at the U.S. Open. His string is tied for second, tied for 16, tied for 21. Those are his last three. U.S. Open performances, and I think he led the field in scrambling at Olympia Fields. I mean, he absolutely scrambled his ass off. He was able to save par from everywhere at at that U.S. Open venue. Uh, I interrupted because I wanted to get a little Hideki love out there because that's I like that thirty five to one. So Fleetwood at forty to one, Hideki at thirty five to one. Those are two guys going on my my dance card. Um, who, who else in that ten to fifty range are you uh, eyeballing? You know, if it's a name like like Jason Day, he played well at the PGA Championship. Wild as hell to see. Um, he just he hasn't been finding a fairway for me. Real bullish on him. Mark Leishman, same kind of thing. Um, he didn't play really well in the playoffs. And, of course, was a zillion over par BMW Championship. Kind of eh, not really high on him. Well, let me let me give you a name. I have a name that I I think could be a sneaky. It's weird to call a guy, uh, you know, right around the top 10 a sleeper. But what about Patrick Reed? Patrick Reed's available right this second at 40 to one, a top 10 finish at the tour championship at East Lake, a known grinder. We know with him, notwithstanding, you know, some of the personality, I'll be generous about it. We're gracious at the beginning of a championship week. We'll just call, you know, he, 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 uh, he does have. Uh, the the attribute of of showing some of that grind, some of that 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 patience. He has a little bit of fight in him. What do you think about Mr. Reed? Fifteen finishes in majors since he won the Masters. Coming off, he was tenth at the Open last year, thirteenth in PGA. Played pretty well. Um, he's another guy who I had written down that was too wild to win this week. Oh, too um, wild to win. If I'm sticking to my guns and I'm committed to to that theory, I may think that. Um, Look, when he won the Masters, he scrambled and putted better than anybody by far. It's short, short game, short game. So if he has another week like that, or like he did when he won in Mexico and had like, I think it was the most one putts ever by a winner on the PGA Tour or something like that, that he, he can definitely, you know, he's, he's kind of like, I put him in the same driving accuracy boat as Tiger, where if Patrick Reed hits nine or more fairways around, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. It's just a matter of, can he do that? So 
Um, he's he's probably not. He wouldn't be the first guy I'd go to, but I could I could see it happening if he has a great week. You know, finding the fairway, but it's just going to be so penalizing for guys. Justin, you spent a lot of time modeling out golf and looking at the analytics and the statistics that you know portend performance in the next week. H- how do you factor in heart? We talked about Tommy Fleetwood before. Tommy Fleetwood has broken my heart so many times in golf fantasy. You know, and, and is there like a coefficient of doesn't have the stones to get this done that you weave in, or do you ultimately believe that the statistics reflect the heart of a player like that? I don't have anything on the spreadsheet that's like stroke stain heart or you know <laughs> stroke stain cojones or anything. But I will tell you there are ways that we look. It's it's one of the this is kind of inside the beltway, but it's one of the things we've always wanted to kind of quantify in this world that I work in, right? Is, you know, who's the best clutch putter? Like who's the best putter within two of the lead in the final round in the back nine? Who's the best driver in that situation? So we have ways to try to kind of figure that out. Um, I tend to believe though, in terms of, and this is pretty much all sports. If you keep putting yourself in situations and positions to win, the probability works out that eventually you're going to go through and do it. So, whether that's, you know, all the heartbreak that Sergio Garcia had through the years. I know he was labeled as a guy who couldn't get it done, couldn't come through, would choke and clutch, whatever it may be. You put yourself in a position to win over and over again, and eventually he gets his breakthrough moment. So that's kind of how I feel with a guy like Tommy Fleetwood is that, you know, he really hasn't been around at the peak of his game for that long. I think that he's going to keep putting himself in positions to win, and eventually it's going to happen. Um, I feel that way about Xander, you know, I feel that way we're going to see that with Bryson down the road in terms of being able to put yourself in a really good position over and over again. And the numbers say eventually that you're going to break through. I know that's, I try not to be a computer or a robot when I answer those types of questions, you know, but um, it's a, it's a great thought. And it's obviously, it's something we definitely try to weigh into it. And you got to add a little bit of the human element when it comes to, you know, picking a player and what they've done in clutch situations, whatever it might be. Um, sometimes you got to look a little bit beyond the raw data and, and see the human side of it. Well, I asked, I asked you that question for the express purposes of, of one of the guys that you just mentioned, wh- who we have not talked about now some 35 minutes into this, which is Bryson DeChambeau, who I think two months ago uh, would have been in the top three of everybody's picks for the U.S. Open he really seemed to fade as we got into the playoffs. You haven't talked about him. Is that because he's just struggled with the accuracy and on the one, you know, heavy, rough setup course at Muirfield where we saw him, he took out a three wood and (laughs) and tin cupped it or, or, or is it that, you know, he may just not have the, 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 the mental fortitude to get through an event like this. The fortitude, the mental fortitude part could be part of it. Um, I more so have looked at, you know, his performance data before and after he won uh, since the restart. I think I get rocket mortgage and free and confused, but, <laughs> but when he won um, up to the point where the restart and through his victory, he was gaining so many more strokes off the tee than everybody else that he was able to be, and, and he was putting really well too. He was able to be mediocre with his approach, Right. So that advantage, he's not driving the ball as well the last few weeks. He's still the best player in terms of the team. That advantage isn't as big, and his putting hasn't been as good, and his iron's still aren't. So, I mean, I don't think you can just, you know, 
wail on the ball and hit the hell out of it and just see where see where it lands and play it from there like he did when he won a few weeks ago. I think you've got to be more precise off the team. I just I don't see it as a great course fit for Bryson this week. Um, you know, it is, you know, if you're a guy who, who's confident in Bryson moving forward, you've got to be heartened by the way he played in San Francisco at Harding Park with by far his performance in a major. Um, so you see glimpses of maybe what he can do moving forward. But in terms of course fit, it just doesn't really it doesn't really fit with what he's done the last five, six weeks uh, closing up. I want to offer a quick defense of Tommy Fleetwood. I understand, Nate, where you're coming from in terms of, you know, a guy that's been uh, around the hole many, many, many times and hasn't jumped all, all the way through. But that performance on Sunday at Shinnecock, to me, that was all the stones, all the heart. And I know we're disappointed that he he was on the leaderboard uh, at the PGA Championship on Saturday and and he wasn't able to uh, sustain anything into the into the weekend. But I'm not ready to to uh, just call Tommy the heartbreaker. The guy that fits the heartbreak for me is a guy that I'm not um, going to uh, invest anything in. And that's top five Tony Tony Finau. All all the game in the world in terms of of uh, his his scoring capacity and also an outstanding track record. Um, at at the majors, he's he has a a, a great run at the majors. But um, uh, T- Tony Finau, uh, Justin, I'm interested in your thoughts on him. And then we haven't talked about either Rory or JT yet. Uh, I mean, Rory's kind of an easy one because it's easy to say my homie's at home in diapers, working the diaper uh, chain. So you know, where where's his head? Where's his? Uh, how, how sharp is he going to be? And then J- JT's around the got to be part of this conversation. Let's do Tony first, and then what your thoughts are on Rory and JT, if you will, please. Yeah, uh, starting with Tony. I mean, uh, look, the narrative around him is obvious. Is what you were saying, top five Tony. This is just continues, but it goes back to what I was saying earlier. A guy who's continually putting himself in really good positions week after week. Like you just think this guy's going to run off two or three wins maybe next season. Like, it, it's got to happen. He's just too talented. He puts himself in position too many times. He played well at that really difficult BMW championship, too. He finished fifth, um, you know, fitting your top five Tony nickname. Uh, I mean, he's got all the requisite skills needed to contend this week. I mean, um, you know, he didn't play extremely well at the four championship, didn't contend, but um, I could totally see that happening this week. Um, whether or not he can win, I mean, that's another story. But um, he was the 54 all co-leader at Shinnecock a few years ago with Daniel Berger on that crazy Saturday. Um, so he's got a pretty good history in the big events, and um, he obviously has all the talent in the world. So I could see that happening. Rory is interesting to me. Um, you know, looking at Rory's numbers since the restart, his iron play hasn't been nearly as good as it was entering the break. He was top five on the PGA Tour before the hiatus and stopped the Players' Championship. He was top five for the season in region regulation and stroke scheme approach. Since the hiatus lifted, he's 58th and 79th in statistics. So I know we're always talking about the putter with Rory because his driver is always there. He's always awesome off the tee. Um, and, and the putter is always what's in question. But really, it was the iron plan that let him down um, over the last six, seven weeks. So um, finally snapped that run of, Four finishes tour championship by playing pretty well, but um, he he's he's interesting too because you know all the gains he made 
last season in terms of putting, all the metrics were way, way improved after he started working with Brad Faxon. Um, they didn't necessarily carry over very well this year. So um, the, the the baby factor is, is interesting. It's going to be a, something we're going to hear about, you know, maybe more than we heard about the fog in San Francisco um, when, we, when we watch the U.S. Open next week. But um, the other stat about Rory that I think is – I think it's fascinating because he's a guy who you think would have done basically everything in golf at this point. Every single win in his professional career, his score has been 12 under or better. He's never won like in a grind type situation. And I'm not saying that he can't do that. It's just that we've never seen it. He's won a lot on courses where it's a birdie competition. It's, it's guys attacking pins. It hasn't been, you know, par as your friend type situation. I, I just, a guy who's had, you know, more than 25, 30 worldwide wins, every single one at least gone. That's that's crazy to me. So I kind of have that in the back of my mind going to a place where I think story is going to be at a premium. And then Justin Thomas, look, he he can compete everywhere. I mean, there is no poster for Justin Thomas because he's that good of the ball right? He's he's the best player T to green on the PGA tour the last two years. He's the best player in terms of strokes game approach this season. Uh, or in 2020, since the restart. Anyway, you slice it, Justin Thomas is just exemplary ball strike. Now, he's been prone to make some big numbers here and there in major championships, um, and that's kind of pulled him out of it sometimes. But, you know, if he can avoid the big number and keep the ball in the fairway, um, there's no reason to think that Justin Thomas can't be in that same kind of uh, DJ Ron class that we think about going Head to head, which Englishman do you like better, Terrell Hatton or Tommy Fleetwood? Oh, that's a good question. I love it. That's a real good question. Now, Hatton, his metrics all just went skyrocketing this season, the time he played with the PGA Tour. Um, I really think Hatton is due. I know he's a he's like a top he's a top 20 player in the world now, but I think he's really due for a breakout into the next phase of his career here over the next two, three years. I think, you know, he's a, he'd be a pretty good futures bet for me to win a major before like the end of 2022. Next week, though. As great as Tommy Fleetwood's ball striking numbers were, um, Fleetwood's hit nearly 70% of his greens in regulation in his U.S. Open career. That's the best of anybody in the field. Um, I'll narrowly take Tommy, but that's a really good bet. I, that's, a, that's a tough one. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Hatton contend. Hatton won on a really difficult uh, setup and conditions at Bay Hill right before the hiatus, too. So um, great question, but I'll narrowly take Tommy. All right, JR. Uh, we're going to let you go, but we need one name. We haven't done, uh, uh, we haven't put you on the spot yet. We've talked a lot, a lot of names. Give us one name. Who's your, 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 your horse this week? My horse is Xander Shoffley. Talked okay. about him earlier. Um, how great he's been at the US Open the last three years. Best strokes game putting of anybody at the US Open the last three years. Most one putts uh, per round at the US Open the last three years. Third in strokes being off the tee, third in proximity. He's been great in all facets of the game of the U.S. Open in his career there. He effectively won the last time he played at the low 70s score. scoring. He's like putting his tail off that week. Um, Xander is my guy to break through and get his first major championship. I love it. Nate Dog, what do you got? Anything? I don't think I have to pick until later in the week, do That's I? That's right. I know you 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 don't. I just we only have Justin, you know, it's a it's rare opportunity we get JR on the line here. Nathan, that's a great call in this COVID world. I mean, I might get off the phone and find out Xander's out, you know. We have no <laughs> idea, you know. Yeah. Well, Scotty Scheffler with the shocker. That's a good call by you. I I just I can't wait to see Morikawa play this course. Uh, because if he's straight with the driver, I think he's gonna have the best look at birdie anybody in the field. 
And as long as he doesn't contract the COVID, I'm feeling better and better about uh, about his his chances. But we didn't even talk about him on this podcast until right now. <laughs> he continues for some reason to be underrated and and looked over. Uh, so I can't wait to see him play the course. JR, always a pleasure. The 15th Club is your place. You'll be putting out newsletters, interesting uh, data points all week long. I know your 10 notes email will go out uh, Wednesday morning. First thing in advance, if you, you're uh, all the uh, birdie buddies out there looking to come up with fantasy strategies, DFS strategies, a little bit of allocating of, of, of the capital. You got to look at 15th Club. If you're not looking at it, you're taking that money and you're flushing it down the toilet. JR, it's a major week. Thank you, my brother, for coming on. All right, my par-saving pals. There you have it. Good way to wet your beak for this absolutely wonderful U.S. Open major week. We do indeed have another show coming up this Wednesday. Two extraordinary special guests, very special guests. Guests a little bit off the beaten path. One right down the middle. He's going to be trying to hit the ball in the fairway. And then one that I'm not going to tease at all. Just a guy who loves the game of golf, who's played Wingfoot a few times. It's made me good for a few chuckles. All right, my birdie buddies, there you have it. We shall be back on Wednesday. If you get around between now and then, make sure you hit them straight out there. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.